Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, and we want to talk about hope for good citizens. Well, we have a need for good citizens in our country today. In our state, we need some good citizens. And uh, Peter is talking to those who are scattered in various uh, countries. He calls them strangers and pilgrims in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And a question has been recently brought in times about the overreaching mayors and governors of our country making uh, their own laws uh, contrary to the Constitution. And then we have mayors and governors who don't do enough. When people are rioting in the streets and destroying property, uh, just kind of sitting back and letting them have at it. Well, what is the proper relationship of a Christian, a Christian citizen, toward their government? Those to whom Peter wrote lived with a government and a society that was not favorable uh, to them as Christians, to the Christian faith. Both Peter and Paul were executed by the hands of a Roman tyrant by the name of Nero. It was not until the 4th century, and uh, I hesitate to, to say this, but uh, historians will say that under Constantine, and I'll put Christianity in quotes. Christianity was afforded official legitimacy and protection. Well, Constantine was not uh, just uh, protecting biblical Christianity, but Bible Christians would have a little bit more freedom uh, after that time. And Peter has just stated the principle that Christians are to live holy lives. Uh, there are to be pilgrims and strangers on this earth. That's what we looked at in verses 11 and 12. And we're not permanent residents here, but pilgrims journeying toward heaven. It would be easy for his readers to conclude, well, if I'm not a permanent resident, that I don't have to be, obey the laws. I don't have to be a good citizen, because I'm not a citizen of this, this earth. Maybe that's what they thought. That's what maybe some Christians even think today. Uh, they're citizens of heaven, not of this earth. But Peter anticipates counters with this wrong conclusion by showing how Christian citizens must live. Christians must live as good citizens by submitting to human government. Now the word submit in verse 13 is a dirty word to a lot of Americans. But it's a favorite word with Peter. In fact, it will dominate much of the rest of this epistle. Uh, it's a military word, meaning to put oneself under another in rank. And we're going to look at more of the meaning of submission later in our study here. But right now, I will just say that submission is an attitude of respect that in obedience to authority and positive with positive good deeds. 
Now, there are some exceptions. We need to be careful not to just run with the exceptions, but to make sure that our normal posture toward government is that of submission. So notice the first of all, the purpose of human government. A government should promote justice and peace by upholding law and order. So what we need today is some law and order. Uh, and the government should maintain reasonable national defense. Well, Peter writes here in verse 14 that kings and governors are sent by him for punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. Paul talks about government bearing the sword as an avenger who brings God's wrath upon one who practices evil. That's in Romans 13. Uh, this points to the power of the state to use capital punishment as well as lesser pu punishment to bring about justice. The Old Testament often talks about the role of a king or promoting justice and righteousness in society. And the government does this in part by legislating morality. Well, somebody might say, well, we shouldn't be legislating morality. Well, don't let anybody sell you the idea that we shouldn't legislate morality. If our, if our country and our uh, constitution is based upon biblical principles, and uh, you just have to do a little study of history and to see that much of what has been written to govern our country is really Bible principles. And that's what the government does. It legislates morality. Is it right to murder? Certainly not. So there are laws against that. Is it right to steal? No. See, those are both moral and uh, biblical uh, laws. <coughs> laws against discrimination reflect the biblical teaching that God is no respecter of persons. Uh, we see that in the book of Acts and also back in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 10. Laws that uh, uh, should protect citizens from sin, from things like uh, pornography and prostitution and drug laws. All those things are, are moral issues. And so uh, the fact that something is illegal will restrain many from otherwise being tempted to engage in it. Now, some people are going to break the law no matter what. And uh, because we've got a, a sin nature. But the real debate, which morality should we legislate? Some Christians believe, well, we should institute Old Testament law. You know, if somebody does something like uh, adultery, stone them. That's what the Old Testament says. Uh, dealing with homosexuals and rebellious children, some pretty severe punishments in the Old Testament. We won't necessarily deal with that question, but uh, uh, just if the value of the law would be accepted by those who've already 
accepted Christ and God's word, laws against adultery and blasphemy and Sabbath breaking, well, uh, we don't necessarily push to legislate it, even if it's biblical. But we can work to legislate many biblical standards, which have some broad social values, can be argued apart from the appeal to the Bible. Laws against abortion, laws uh, protecting the handicapped and the elderly, laws against pornography and child abuse, and many other issues can be argued on the grounds of basic human rights, even apart from Christianity. And most unbelievers will even recognize the inherent rightness of things like the golden rule. And we can use the biblical ethic ethical standard as a basis for legislating proper morality even in our uh, society. So Peter in another biblical text will show that the government is ordained of God to promote justice. And even though Peter doesn't touch on it specifically, the result of promoting justice will be promoting peace and order in a society. 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 and 2 states that we should pray for kings, for those in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Now, for us to live a quiet and peaceable life, the government must obtain, uh, maintain adequate national defense so we are not overrun by some totalitarian power or some mob that just comes in and says, we don't like you, we don't like what you stand for, so we're going to destroy uh, this, and we're going to destroy that. We're going to take over. Well, a government should give defense against that. And internally, the government should not interfere with religious liberty within the bounds of human safety and rights. So. The government's purpose is to promote justice and peace. That's why God ordained it. God uh, put it into to being. And Peter is addressing that to these people here who are out, away from their uh, uh, normal place. They're scattered. And uh, he's trying to give them some information concerning how they ought to live as strangers and pilgrims. Now, that brings us to the meaning of submission to government. What does it mean to submit to human government? Well, Peter gives us three elements, three elements. He says, first of all, in verse 13, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or to governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye, uh, ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Now, the first thing that he includes here is obedience. That's what the word submit means, to obey. Now, when he talks about Kings, that could apply to federal laws. 
governors could apply to state and local laws. Now, a couple of examples, of course, would be we need to pay our taxes. What? We're supposed to pay our taxes? No, that's submitting to the government. That's obeying the government. Uh, traffic laws. Some Christians take a strict constructionist view. That means they never go over the speed limit. They're always going under the, uh, the speed limit. And that's those people you get kind of aggravated at because they're going slower than 55. I take a loose constructionist view. I get in the fast lane and go with the flow. <laughs> but you know, if you, you would want be one that regularly gets traffic citations, maybe you need to slow down. Huh? Maybe you need to amend your ways. I heard of one pastor who got stopped for speeding. He told the officer he was on the Lord's business. The officer replied, he says, I read the same Bible. It says, go out into the highways and bring them in. And that's what I'm doing. Another pastor pressed for time and not finding a parking place, parked in a no parking zone. And he put a note on his windshield. I've circled the block ten times. I have an appointment to keep. Forgive us our trespasses. When he returned, he found a ticket along with this note. I've circled this block for 10 years. If I don't give you a ticket, I'll lose my job. Lead us not into temptation. But simply put, submission means obeying the law. So that's the first aspect there. Secondly is showing respect. You know you can obey with a rotten attitude. And sometimes we've seen that in our children, but probably because they've seen it in us as adults, obeying with a rotten attitude. But Peter says, we're to honor all men. In verse 17, he says, uh, honor all men and honor the king. But what if he's a scoundrel? Well, even if we can't respect a leader because he's corrupt or immoral, we respect his office. Again, this isn't, this isn't really what most Americans want to hear. It's not American tradition. We even make jokes about our political leaders. We portray them often as buffoons or idiots. You know, political satire is something that's very accepted. And you must have to, you have to admit there are some things politicians do that invite this kind of thing. You know, Jesus called Herod a fox. So there may be some basis for taking a swipe at political leaders, but we need to be careful in this area to promote respect for government authorities. And since God ordained governmental authority, to despise that authority is to despise God. The third aspect is positive good deeds says here in verse 15 that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Peter is not referring to government leaders as foolish men, but rather the willful ignorant who slander Christians as evildoers. 
Uh, back in verse 12, it says, Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they have, they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. To silence means literally to muzzle. The idea that our good deeds, our active good deeds, we take away the basis for criticism of Christianity from those that oppose it. Now, Paul wrote to Titus in Titus chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to do every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. See, there, the message is really the same as Peter's message. And when Christians live like that, in the midst of a pagan culture, it has a powerful testimony. On the other hand, when professing Christians disrespect authority, when they disobey the law, and when they, uh, or when they just withdraw from society, and they say, well, I'm just, I'm, we're just going to go out in the woods and live by ourselves. They're not doing good deeds necessarily, and that leaves a bad taste in the mouths of those who want to criticize Christians. You know, when Israel was in exile in Babylon, uh, their situation was parallel to that of many Christians today. They were strangers and pilgrims in a foreign land. They looked uh, to restore their promised land, but God told Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, to tell the exiles to build houses there, to plant gardens, to take wives and have children. And then he added in verse 7, And seek the peace of the city, whether I have caused you to be carried away captives, and pray unto the Lord for it, for in the peace thereof shall ye have peace. And that's good counsel. Good counsel for Christians who are strangers and pilgrims in a wicked world. Just like uh, he told them to build houses. Live in them. Plant your garden. Eat the, eat the harvest from your garden. Raise your family. Pray for the welfare of your, your city, your community where you live. Buy property. Work to improve the schools. Help out in the community projects. Be a good citizen. And that's what it means to submit to the government. Obey the law. Respect the authorities and do good deeds. <clears throat> so the purpose of government is to promote justice and peace. The meaning of submission includes obedience, submission, and good deeds. And then thirdly, the reason for submission to the government. He says again in verse 13, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for what? The Lord's sake. It's not something we do because we're selfish. We're doing it because it's for the Lord. There's two ideas here, really. One is by submitting to it, that is the government, we submit to God. We submit to him. Paul says that very plainly in Romans 13. He says, let every subject... 
or soul be subject unto higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. He even states that rulers are ministers of God. Daniel uh, chapter 2 verse 21 states that God removeth kings and setteth up kings. He directs even pagan kings according to his sovereign purposes. Remember, both Paul and Peter wrote when there was a corrupt, godless Nero on the throne. Daniel lived under the ruthless leadership of Nebuchadnezzar. And both rulers obviously fell short of being ideal leaders. But we must conclude we cannot make exceptions to the biblical principle of obedience to government based on how bad the ruler is. Now Peter knew that his readers, including us, would not inherently gravitate toward this idea of being submissive, submissive to pagan rulers, you know, let alone be uh, to good Christian rulers. He uh, could hear us object, but we're free in Christ. We don't have to obey a pagan tyrant. Well, Peter wrote in verse 16, he says here, as free, he, he knew they were going to say that, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. You know, just as a train is only truly free when it's running on the tracks, you understand that, right? Just as a train is only free when it's on the tracks, gets off tracks, it's not free. So human beings are only free when they obey God. When we're disobedient, we lose our freedom. True freedom is living righteously in submission to God. And anything less means we're enslaved to sin. So for the Lord's sake, because he ordained and he established government for the benefit of the human race, we submit to him when we submit to our government. So by submitting to it, we submit to him. Secondly, the other idea is our submission bears witness for God. So the theme of our witness as pilgrims in this hostile world runs all the way from chapter 2, verse 12, to chapter 3, even through chapter 3. And we'll be seeing that as we go along. Uh, it's Im very Im important in this section dealing with our responsibility as Christian citizens. You know, when it comes to politics, we need to remember that God uses civil government to accomplish his purposes. We say, you know, I can't stand some of the politicians we have in our government, in our Congress, or yeah, I can't stand so-and-so, and, and I can't stand this guy or that woman and what they're doing. But you know what? God is going to use them for his purpose. And it's proper for us to serve in political leadership if we have that opportunity, and even be involved in the political process. Also, evangelism is God's primary ways of dealing with the world's problems. 
You know, the best way to solve the world's problems is to see people get saved. That brings a lasting change. But if we get sidetracked into winning political victories for our cause, we do not win men and women to Christ, we will ultimately fail. Now, one might wonder, in the context here of this relationship, why in verse... Um, I'm trying to look for it now. I can't find it. Where's the phrase? <laughs> it slips me now. Okay. Submit yourselves, governors, evildoers, praise to them that do well. Put the silence to the foolishness of men. Uh, uh, honor. Oh, there it is, verse 17. It's in between. It's sandwiched. It's that, that sandwich thing. It's the, it's the meat of what we've got here, okay? It says, honor all men and honor the king, but what's in between? Love the brotherhood. Why would he talk about that when he's talking about the government? Maybe it relates to the underlying theme of our public witness. You know, we're to love even our enemies, of course, but here Peter, Peter sing, singles out our love for Christian brothers and sisters because if Christians are fighting among themselves, the world is watching and shrugging their sh shoulders and saying, why should I be a Christian? You see, they're no different than anyone else. So if we're going to be a witness and have some influence, we're going to have to love one another. Love the brotherhood. The same is true if we do not show proper honor to all men, including civil authorities. Our love for fellow Christians, our submission and our honor for government is a powerful witness. And we do it for the Lord's sake. So the purpose of government promote justice and peace in society. Submitting to the government means obedience, respect, and good deeds. The reason we submit is for the Lord's sake. Now, Peter differentiates between God and the king. He says, fear God, honor the king. The emperor deserves appropriate honor, but he's not on the same level as God. If the king violates his responsibility, which has been given to him by God, then the believer is responsible to confront that, and if it comes down to it, obey God rather than man. And so there's a fine balance that Christians need to maintain between respecting the man and his office, but not respecting him more than God. If it comes to a tug of war between God and government, we must follow God. If government forces us to disobey God, we appeal to government if possible. If we have the opportunity, we confront the government with that it's wrong. But if that all fails, we disobey the government and submit and take our punishment. I think Paul did that. He was going to obey God, and sometimes he got thrown in jail. He got thrown in jail quite a bit. So Christian citizens should be good citizens, and the main way we do that is by submitting 
to our human government. Now let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you.